hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Did you know that your passion projects can be the foundation for your financial security? That the things that excite and drive you can help build a life of abundance? Well, that's what today's guests believe, and we think they kind of know what they're talking about. So you've seen Out and Around, right? The documentary that visited 15 countries across Africa, Asia, and South America to meet quote-unquote super gays, courageous, resilient, and proud LGBTQ people living in areas where they're still lacking basic rights. Or maybe you saw the TED Talk about it. That was quite popular. Well, today we're talking with the creators of that documentary and the stars of that TED Talk, Jenny Chang and Lisa Dazals. Since this breakout hit of a movie for the LGBTQ community, Jenny and Lisa left their jobs in corporate America and social work, left their slick lives in San Francisco, and are now geo-liberated in Taiwan, where they founded the Asia Rainbow Charity Bike Ride. They've since launched Modern Family Finance, the small business they've built together to help queer people with their money, all the way from budgeting to investing. Oh, and they've done all this with two daughters in tow. Jenny and Lisa say that these passion projects are what help them leave their secure jobs in the U.S. and their ridiculous BMW convertible to living their abundant lives today, all with financial peace. You're listening to Queer Money episode 272, and today we're talking about how clarity about what you most want is the key to living the life you love. We make the Queer Money podcast for you, so please post your money questions in the Queer Money Facebook group. We may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Now, let's get on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. So welcome Jenny and Lisa to the show. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having us. Of course. You proposed the idea of talking about uh, pursuing your passion to build true wealth. And I think as I, I look through your story uh, and as we've become friends over the last couple of years, um, I think you guys are really exemplifying that So in, in your actual everyday life. So what I'd like to do is sort of uh, go through your history a little bit, and then we'll maybe dive in towards the latter half of the section about pursuing your passion to build that wealth. So many of, you may, many of our listeners may already know from you about the uh, Out and Around documentary that you did, where you traveled to 15 countries across Asia, Africa, South America. America, and you met super gays. <laughs> I love that part. Do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about that experience and what inspired that? Sure. So, uh, you know, Jay and I had been together for about two years, and we really had wanted to travel for a year and have a project while we traveled. And, uh, you know, we decided, as you said, to seek out super gays, people in the LGBT community who are doing something extraordinary within their communities. Uh, really, it was that we wanted more role models of people doing really positive things in places uh, in the developing world where you, you don't hear too much about the extraordinary work that people do to make their lives better and the lives of LGBT people better. 
So, uh, you know, you know, we we weren't filmmakers, but we came up with this idea of traveling and just interviewing people and sitting down and having a conversation with them about what they loved about their community, you know, the positive things that were happening and what their role was. And we were just blown away by these interviews that we, uh, you know, I think we shot 150 hours of video and made. And when we came back to San Francisco, we we were very lucky to find a couple of filmmakers who wanted to take that footage and make it into an 80-minute film. Uh, so we we have the film up on on YouTube for free. It's in five languages. Uh, if you don't have 80 minutes, you can watch our 10-minute TED Talk. And if you're an educator, we have educational guides geared towards high school students so that uh, students can have conversations in classrooms and really learn from the material. Uh, I mean, I'm Asian, obviously, and uh, this project kind of started out because I was looking for people who look like me. So I didn't come out till my mid-20s. I grew up in a pretty conservative immigrant family and uh, religious family. And so um, I didn't know of any out people around me. So this was just more like, how do I find people who people of color who are out, who are doing, who are living lives that are successful and thriving? Um, so that's really what led us to do this journey. But like, I think that that the film was actually the first step in in this journey that we've now been on for a decade to kind of create <laughs> create our best lives. I think that it really kicked us off onto the journey that we're still on. So I, what I'd like to dive into a little bit is you didn't start out as filmmakers. You didn't, I guess, you didn't go to film school and you don't have all that experience. When you kind of got this idea, you had this little fire of recording people on video and and, and gaining their life experience on video. What made you think you could actually do that? Well, you know, it was the same time that the It Gets Better project had just started, where like everyday people were recording their coming out stories. And we were watching like just what an impact that had on us and our friends. And we thought, this is like, if people can do this, we can do this. Like, let's go out and make some home videos of people and just get their stories. And so that that kind of gave us the confidence to to say, like, yeah, you know, like, we're or very ordinary people, but we can we could do something like this. And, you know, we have friends that could help us. And so, yeah, we feel very lucky because in the end, we ended up partnering with the It Gets Better Project on the film. You know, since then, the It Gets Better Project has affiliates in many countries around the world in which they really, um, you know, have stories of people now for those countries. But that was the initial kind of spark that we could do something. I mean, I think there's a certain amount of naivety. Had we known how <laughs> how challenging some of the things would be, maybe we would have thought twice. But I think it was honestly just, hey, let's go meet some really cool people. Let's hear their stories. Let's video it. And then it kind of snowballed from there. And I do think, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about passion projects. That's why we are passionate about people doing passion projects. It really gives you a chance to experiment, right? Like, you know, we made a film. We have no intention of being filmmakers still. We will never, we will never <laughs> we make another we film. We won't be making another film. Um, but that said, like, it was a chance to experiment. And I think, you know, for Out and Around as an example, that particular project, you know, we learned several things about it. One was, you know, we learned actually, one of the biggest learnings is this was pretty early on in our relationship. We had been together for three years. Traveling and doing a pretty big project together you know, we came from very different industries. Lisa's a social worker. Uh, I've been, you know, in, in corporate management and tech. And so we really didn't understand each other's worlds or each other's skill sets. So working together actually gave us this confidence that like we could work together professionally, which, you know, like not all couples are able to do. It's not good or bad. It's just, you know, what what works for you guys. And that does work for us. So that was one thing we learned. 
you know, all the things we learned was just like, we love hearing people's stories, telling people's stories, and we really enjoy working with the LGBTQ community. And that's why, you know, we'll get to this later, but with our financial planning practice now, we're still aimed towards the LGBT community. So we enjoy that. Um, and the third thing we learned from this experiment was just that uh, we love location independence and we love to have control over our time. And so that's also what launched us into uh, self-employment now. Nice. So a couple of things from the beginning. Uh, it re- kind of reminds me of, you said we're just ordinary people, but I think of the queer community has always been led by ordinary people doing extraordinary things, right? I mean, that's the push to make progress is always driven by somebody who has a passion or desire or an idea and puts in the work to make it happen. And then everybody all of a sudden says, wow, that's amazing, right? And what oftentimes we think of as being ordinary or we are, we're just ordinary, really the passion shows through and that's what makes it feel extraordinary. Yeah, I think, I mean, even the, we discovered the strength of the queer community when we reached out to people to ask for interviews. I mean, we had like 95% of people said, of course, yes, come here. (laughs) Like, we'd love to participate in your project. So like, it is a very warm international community. Uh, We've, we've felt that, you know, in all the projects that we've done. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess it is kind of funny how you almost, wherever you go, you kind of find your queer folk, right? And you almost feel <laughs> safe with other queer people more than you would any other person. And it's, I think that's kind of a comforting thing. One of the other things that you mentioned, which I, I love, is that you didn't understand each other's skill sets, but you decided to do a project together and you learned a lot about each other. And I think that's, John and I have experienced this too with doing something together that's that's big. That's not just that's bigger than your everyday life. I think it really can show how you as a couple can work together to accomplish things. And I think a lot of couples who don't take advantage of that opportunity, they're missing out on the opportunity of building a stronger relationship with their partner. Yeah, I mean, we fought more than we ever have the first three months. I mean, I mean, I think we both thought and we took a you know big risk traveling and leaving our jobs and stuff. We both we both in our hearts thought that we were going to get married, and we both were traveling with engagement rings unbeknownst to one another. But like <laughs> those first few months, I, I think we both we, we kind of questioned the, where we were going. And you know you really have to figure out what your skill sets are. You really just can't s- split things fifty fifty and expect the other person to do half of this one part of the project. You really got to figure out what your talents are in order to work together and figure out your roles. But, you know, I mean, we joke all the time, like, this is how lesbians hang out. You know, we just start NGOs. We just start, (laughs) we just start movements. And I, but I I think you're, it's true. I think, and every, you know, gay movement, every LGBT NGO, you know, every, you know, trans organization has just started from a group of volunteers. Like, this is, this is just what we do. Yeah. And you have a passion behind it. And so you kind of dropped our, uh, a hint to our next question. You love being location independent. And I think your story uh, with us so far today anyway started out in San Francisco, but that's not where you are now. Do you mind explaining what location independence means to you and how you're sort of living that to the nth degree these days? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think home for us is always San Francisco. So I feel we feel very fortunate to have like a base I don't think that, you know, for us being digital nomads is not like the lifestyle that fits best with us. But for us, it's more like having the flexibility 
to adjust as needed. Um, and so, you know, we've been lucky, like we, we were just planning to be here for four, for four months in Taiwan. And, you know, during COVID, uh, Taiwan happened to be the safest, one of the safest places on earth to be. And so we just stayed. So just having that flexibility of being able to, you know, shift, shift gears, uh, you know, we're probably going to, at the end of the, of the end of this year, we'll probably spend three months in San Francisco. Um, so just being able to bring our work and our kids where we need to be at that moment is really what it means to be uh, uh, location independent for us. And, you know, I alluded to this before, but that first passion project, which was the film, really kicked us off on our life because, you know, when we came back from the film, um, we stayed in San Francisco for a few more years, but then we had our first child. And uh, when she was six months old, we decided to leave and move to Switzerland. And we, this was for a job and we stayed in Switzerland for several years. I don't think we would have had the guts to do that if we hadn't had that first passion project experience. And then from Switzerland, we said, hey, you know, we were going to move back to San Francisco, stop through Taiwan initially, as Lisa mentioned, just to spend a few months, um, have the kids spend time with grandparents, learn the language a little bit. And then because we have this location independence now, we were able to stay and just adjust and do what was the best for the family, given, you know, the difficult situation with COVID. Gotcha. And so you said earlier that you, because of out and around, that sort of informed you. It kind of gave you the empowerment to be able to say, we can be location independent. That was for the, sort of the first glimpse of, of that. So I'm going to ask this question a little bit different. When you decided to leave San Francisco again and go to Switzerland, or you decided to go to Taiwan, what did your friends and family think about your location independence? Did they think you were a little bit off the wall, especially <laughs> with, with two children? Yeah, I mean, I think people think, you know, as soon as you have kids, like the party's over. And certainly we, you know, we, we thought that as well. But I mean, we've really learned like there's a lot of joy and especially when kids are young and they're not you're not following a school year. Uh, there's a lot of joy that actually comes with exposing your kids to other countries and having them learn languages, you know, in different, in different daycares or just being able to kind of take advantage of some of the geographical, um, what do you call it, geographical arbitrage uh, in terms of this, the cost of living. So we've really found this to be, you know, quite a vibrant time in our kids' lives and our family's life to have adventure, to still be able to travel, though it looks different when you have two small children. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, you know, for us, you know, up until COVID, we've been fortunate to to be able to have at least twice a year really quality time with our families at home. So it is a different shift of, you know, having quality time with your family versus quantity time. Uh, you know, we try when we're in California to really be present. You know, we spend weeks <laughs> often in family members' homes. So it's just a different way of connecting and, and, and you know, visiting. Yeah. So when I'm out with my daughter and it's just me, they'll ask my daughter, you know, where's your dad from? Because they can see that that she's mixed. And my daughter will say, you know, I have two moms and she'll go on, you know, and, and explain the structure of our family. So I think doing that in Taiwan, doing that, you know, around Europe, like it's it's been a different way to be out as an LGBT person. You know, sometimes when you're traveling and you're an individual or just a couple, you can kind of not say it if you don't want to, but with kids, you're always out. Um, you know, sometimes that's that's tiring. But on the other hand, I I think a lot of times we have the opportunity to be the very first LGBT family that someone might see, and it's a cool opportunity to do that. Yeah. 
I, I can only imagine the look on someone's face as they're listening to, and I don't know how old your daughter is, but at <laughs> she's five. So listening to her explain to them, probably in a very matter of fact, this is the way it is. This is our family. I have two moms, and kind of the look on their face of okay. <laughs> okay, I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> you just got gum. You have to absorb what the little kid is telling you, and they are 100% confident and fine in it. Our, our daughter almost enjoys the the shock value sometimes. I mean, she's so you know, kids just are believe how they're raised. So you know, there are kids. We've been lucky; they haven't had any like sense of shame or any sense of wrongness has been placed on them yet. Nice. But she will tell everyone, like every taxi driver. I mean, she just. I think she enjoys the reaction and like the surprise <laughs> and like the coolness of it uh, in her mind. And so it's 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 cool to see how proud she is. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. The message I'm getting from this is if you distill this down into their simplest form so far... One, you create a documentary not having any experience in film whatsoever. And two, you decided to just live and work anywhere in the world whenever you feel like it. When you, when you say those two things, I think for most people, they're like, that is completely outside of the realm of possibility. I can't do that. That's not the way that I can live. And I think that what it shows is a, that it is available to us. However we want to structure our or architect our lives, that is available to us. And I think all of that can be fueled by figuring out what you're passionate about, what's your, what's driving you, and what's the kind of life that you want to build for yourself. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And and again, I think it's like scary when you say, well, you just have to figure out what you're passionate about. Because like, frankly, I don't know that answer half the time either, you know. And so I do think that doing little projects is helpful. And I do think that taking... You know, the, I, th- I think the scariest thing for folks is that when you make a jump, you are jumping into a void, you know, like where you you don't know where you're going to land exactly in terms of like figuring out your your truest work or your best work or your best lifestyle. And frankly, like, we're still on a journey, you know, to figure that all out. That's the joy of this whole journey. It's like with each step that we take, with each experiment that we try, with each new place that we live. And with each new work project that we do, we learn a little bit more about ourselves and about each other, about what we enjoy, what makes a good life uh, for us. And I think just as you get closer to financial independence, it just allows you to say yes to things when there's a window of opportunity. So like even this Asia Rainbow Ride that we started here, that I'm sure we'll, we can talk about in a little bit, it wasn't something that we had like pre-planned and said, this is my vision. It just you know, it just kind of allows you the space when an opportunity comes up or when an idea comes up to have the time and resources to follow it. So uh, I think, Jen, one of the things that you said kind of reminded me of, you said, you have to leap into the void, right? It kind of reminds me of the saying that you can't soar unless you decide to take the leap, right? And a lot of us want to soar, have the experience of soaring, but we're too scared to take the leap. And I think what I'm seeing here is that you guys have have done this 
a number of times. You've taken the leap, and as you take it more and more and more, you start to gain the confidence that, yeah, it might be bumpy, or you might be scared on the way down, but eventually you're going to hit the air pocket, and you're going to start to soar. Even if it doesn't feel like it all the time, you're going to get the experience and confidence of taking those kinds of risks. Yeah, I mean, for sure, like our life, you know, at these last 10 years, it's been a series of steps, you know, towards towards where we are today. And who knows where we'll be in another 10 years. But you know, I think in terms of leaping, you know, to a certain we we did, I, I would say we did leap in terms of taking some risks in, in our lifestyle and in, in where we were going to live. The one thing, though, I want to say is like, some folks are able to do that and not worry, you know, they're like their finances, they're just it's going to work out. It's it's going to be okay. I'm just going to take a jump. Uh, I'm not actually one of those people, you know. So <laughs> so so when I when I speak about leaping, you know, I do think that um, for a lot of us, being planful about our finances is very important, you know, to help provide a safety net for that leap, you know, and to know that you're leaping with a plan in place. So I mean, I think that whole journey, the whole reason we started going down this financial planning journey was because after we came home from the film, we were on a high. We were like, that was an amazing year. You know, we got to live a lifestyle that we loved. Um, we got to spend time with each other. We got to meet some really cool people. And we got to create this amazing body of work that we're very proud of. How do we get to do that again? You know, and, and the thought of, oh my gosh, do I have to spend another 25, 30 years in corporate? I wanted to figure out some other way. So that's really what led us to um, go down this line of financial planning. Yeah. And I think, Lisa, you, you made a really good point there. You said the closer you get to financial independence, the more confidence and the ability you have to do these kinds of things. But I think so many people, especially here in the United States, but in westernized world, get so stuck and they can't get to some level of financial independence because of the excess that we have to have, right? We have to have the car, we have to have the house, we have to have the whatever it is that you define as or your community has defined as success. And that holds so many people back from reaching financial independence because they don't have a plan to try to get to financial independence. Yeah. So last night, Jenny and I were laughing so hard because we were, we were looking at this email that Jenny had written me. It was just like one year after we had returned to San Francisco after the film and we were both working full time. We had no kids. And uh, Jenny had read this book called Your Money or Your Life. <laughs> and she literally went through our budget. We were I mean, we were make, we were spending more just as the two, the two of us as we do today as four people. And it was like, OK, honey, we are, we are selling the car. We are like it was just like this this realization that um, sell the BMW convertible. <laughs> yeah. This is not fitting with our plan. It was just like this. We decided that we were going to reduce our spending by half, which was very different from our peers. But again, the goal was, you know, she was like, look, if we can save this amount, <laughs> then we can get to this, then we can get some more time and we can continue doing, you know, what we've really loved. So we might be weird for a while, but it will pay off in the long term. So it was just this this funny email about like slashing our expenses. It actually worked. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's a. Uh, it's very hard to do. It's very unconventional to do. But you know, we really had to look at where we were spending our money, what was bringing us joy, and really what wasn't. So I think this is uh, the the question is dying to be asked right now. Is this where the freedom, the family freedom manifesto came from? 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, we just looked it up. It was June 2014. Apparently, I was sitting in an airport uh, writing this after reading that Vicki Robbins book. Right. And I mean, the in the Family Freedom Manifesto, basically what I was articulating was like, okay, what's our ideal vision for our life? You know, we literally wrote out like 24 hours in the day of an ideal life. So not like these, you know, you can do bucket lists. That's a good way to do it too. But really think about like, if you had an ideal 24 hours, what it would have looked like. And for us, like what we wrote, it wasn't just sitting on a beach or, you know, kind of having cocktails, although that's nice occasionally, but it was really about like, being in community, doing work that we cared about, having uh, the, the leisure and, and free time to take care of our bodies and, and do the things we enjoyed. Like that was our ideal 24 hours. And then, you know, once we kind of figured out what our ideal vision of life was, well, then we really wrote out what our financial goals, like how would, what does it cost to make that happen? You know, and, and actually, you know, we did do a pretty extreme audit of our own expenses, but the motto that I like to tell folks and the model that we use now is that it's it's not about minimizing the cost it's about maximizing the joy so going through your expense list and just thinking you know does this bring me the joy and what trade off is it making what trade off is it making to my present self in terms of what i can't buy now because i spent you know $500 on this leather jacket and as well as what's the trade off that i'm making for my future self in terms of you know, whether that's a sabbatical or whether that's a vacation or whether that's early retirement, whatever that is for the person, you know, and just thinking about that, I think it's, it's, it's much easier to, to make those trade-offs versus just feeling like you're constantly tightening the belt. So we defined our financial goals and then, you know, step three was really just kind of doing a, a financial checkup of where we're at today. So our assets, our debt, you know, how much income, how much expenses, that's when, you know, looking at our expenses, I couldn't believe it. Like we were spending more that was seven years ago. We were spending more seven years ago, just the two of us, than we are today with four people, you know? So that was kind of a wake-up call. And then we, the fourth step was really looking at where we're going. So doing a financial projection, you know, and, and really looking at different scenarios. If we kept working for X number of years, what would that look like? If we had kids and we had a stay-at-home parent, what would that look like? What would it look like if we wanted to live abroad for a period of time and just modeling out what the financial implications for that? And then lastly, just putting together a plan to figure out how to get us from where we're at today to where we want it to go. And that's really around um, investment strategy and savings. Nice. So you're both educated, smart people. Before starting the out and around journey, did you ever think that you could create, did you ever have this type of a discussion with yourself of exactly what do you want your life to look like and how can we financially make that happen? I mean, no, I like I was like in a government job, you know, working at a public hospital and I was like, okay, cool. I'm just going to sit here for 30 years and plus pension. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we knew anyone, you know, I mean, I think blogs really opened our mind and, you know, connecting online to some of these, to some bloggers who were talking about travel and, you know, gaining mileage points and, you know, living frugally and, you know, just reading books and like slowly we've met this online community. I mean, this is how we met you guys. And these are people that we now consider friends. And so I think just we needed to think of alternative models. I mean, I remember, you know, we were in San Francisco and we had a, a friend who was a little bit older than us who had a kid who was just starting kindergarten. It was important for him that his kid learned his native language. And so uh, he enrolled his daughter in a bilingual school that cost $50,000 a year. And I thought, my God, that's, you know, amazing. She's going to be bilingual. And then I said, you know, could we maybe like live off of $50,000 in another country and our kids could learn Spanish? You know, I mean, I was just like, 
blown away and thinking, yeah, I, I want that for my child too, but maybe there's another way that we could get that without the high cost. And so really the only people we knew doing that were people online. (laughs) (laughs) Our, our secret, our secret invisible friends. Uh, But you know, since, since being on this journey, we have met real life people. And in fact, you know, have befriended some of these real life people like yourself and also folks that even, uh, you know, blogger that we've met here in Taiwan. But I think it's really important to see models, you know, and if you can't find people in your own community right now, look online, you know, and and connect with them because we want to, you know, like I, I can speak for ourselves. We love to talk with people who are interested in they don't want to live a default life. They want to create something different, but they don't know how. I think most bloggers are very happy to to help yeah, and the reason I ask this question is because it's not something that's taught in school. We don't learn it in in the public school system. It's not taught in college. The whole the whole concept is to get a job and 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 to Lisa's point earlier, work for thirty years, hopefully collect a pension or have a retirement, and that's what that's what success is supposed to look like. And then if you don't have anybody in your circle in your real life who has done anything off the wall like like what we're all doing you don't think that it's it's possible you, you don't even know that it, ex- it exists let alone think it's possible for yourself and so i think that's why i think it's it's exciting that you you were able to come to that conclusion by taking one leap by you know trying to do a documentary or or at least at the very least recording some people who you met when you were traveling around the world yeah and i think i mean in, in some ways even our bodies have told us to stop i mean I, and my last job, I was having uh, alopecia, like losing parts of my hair because of stress. And I know Jenny struggled with insomnia and, and, you know, in her last corporate job where she was flying around all the time every week to different parts of Europe. So, I mean, for us, I feel like, you know, just our health has gotten so much better and we could just feel viscerally this need to get off this wheel. I mean, that said, you know, we were originally inspired by the FIRE or the, you know, financial independence early retirement movement. And that definitely gave us a model for for how to live differently. But, you know, it's not for it's not for everyone. And I don't even know that we qualify as FIRE now because we we actually do work. Um, But I, I and I don't think for a lot of people, you know, the end goal isn't I don't want to work. I think the end goal is I want to work on my terms, doing something that I'm fulfilled by with the people that I enjoy in a way that I enjoy. And I think that having, you know, the financial freedom to do that is very feasible for a lot of folks with the proper planning, you know, and with some just taking some time out to kind of figure out what what's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's uh, it's interesting how the definition of fire has really morphed over the last couple of years because people are thinking outside the firebox now, right? They're thinking about how, and I actually saw this as a meme on Instagram, I think it was today or yesterday, fire is not about retirement, fire is about choices. And I think that that's that's really what a lot of folks in the fire community or people who are looking for financial independence are doing now. They're looking for how can I make the choices that are best for me and my life and my family rather than making choices that are best for some corporation or government entity, right? And so it's yeah. it's more about what we can do to lead an authentic life in many aspects of our lives, including our finances, including the choice of where we live or how we live our lives. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And and the other thing is like, you know, money can be a fuel for your best life. But unfortunately, for most folks, it's the top stress. And that's especially the case for women, even more so than men, you know, and so, 
you know, for us, the reason why we now work uh, with folks around money is because we've seen that, you know, I think a lot of people see money just as a constraint. It limits what you're able to do, but you could flip it around and make it such that it's now an enabler for what you can do, you know? And so when we think about financial planning, we're really working backwards instead of saying, well, how much do you have? Therefore, what can you do? It's like, well, let's first figure out what it is that you want and then work backwards to make the money work. It's becoming really conscious and intentional. I think for most of us, we we go to school and then we're told we should probably go to college unless we want to struggle the rest of our lives. So we go to college and then we have to, at the age of 18, think about, okay, what is this major career I want to pick for myself for the rest of my life? And then you dive into some sort of a career. And I think we're kind of just either dragged or pushed along to go through all these hurdles. And then we graduate, we get married, we have kids and we have this job. And that's that's a definition of happiness, work for 30 years and then retire. And then you get to have all the freedom that this elusive freedom that everybody promises is at the end of the the, the work rainbow, right. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and I, But I think, and I think a lot of there. us get to a point in our 20s or 30s and maybe 40s for some of us where we're like, you know what? This actually isn't making me happy. I've got all this stuff I've got this BMW that can put the top down and I've got this great place in San Francisco or Denver or I've just got all this amazing stuff, but I'm not, not actually happy. It's not fueling my soul. And I keep chasing the dragon, buying more and more stuff and I'm not actually getting that happiness. And I think to your point, being more intentional about, well, let's think about it. What is it that you really want? What If you yeah. could have anything, what would that be? And then let's kind of reverse engineer it and figure out how we can get you there. Yeah, and it is a practice. I mean, a lot of what I do when I work with our clients is is work on conscious consumption so like i mean because you're right like our 30 years while working we're just bombarded by advertisements and marketing and you know kind of keeping up with the joneses and you know when we make these purchases like really asking ourselves how do i think this purchase fits into my life like is this purchase making up for something that is lacking in my life right now Mm -hmm. you know what is the real purchase and we found that the bmw convertible Brought no joy. Like, you know, it, it was constantly being repaired. Well, well, it, I could tell you what yeah. it was trying to solve. It was trying to make my my uh, commute more tolerable, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it was trying to make a miserable situation yeah. a little bit better. But, I've heard, you know, we've heard that several times from people that they buy the super expensive, fabulous car. Very nice car, but it's only because they have to be in the car for th- three hours a day. Exactly. <laughs> and at the end of the day, like six months later, you're still like, nope, still miserable, still miserable. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've, we've touched on a little bit. You've, you've, uh, since, uh, since your time in Taiwan and now your next venture is modern family finance. Uh, and I think what's fascinating about what, what you're doing is you're, you're working together as a couple. You, fa- you started this business, but one of you is more on the money coaching side and one of you is more on the actual in- financial planning investing side. Can you share with our listeners about modern family finance and how the two of you are helping people? Yeah. So modern family finance, you know, we provide financial planning, investment management, and money coaching kind of as a comprehensive approach. And the reason we do that is because, you know, we think, and we've certainly experienced in our true life is that, you know, true wealth requires numbers, but also the right mindset, because we all know that you can have all the money in the world and still feel very poor. You know, so, so I, myself, I help folks on the financial planning and investment side, you know, and the goal here is to really figure out how do we make the numbers work, right? Like now that you've defined what your goals are and how much it's going to cost, how do we get you a plan to get there that's tax efficient? How do we help you invest um, in a way that's going to get you the returns? And that's also aligned with your values. Whereas, you know, while Lisa, I mean, you can speak to what you do. So, I mean, uh, you know, I work with people and especially with couples working on a spending plan. Um, so first, you know, I, 
help people just to identify their money beliefs. And these are all things that, you know, our unconscious beliefs, the way that we were taught growing up, uh, the way that we viewed money growing up, mainly from our parents and the people around us. And then, you know, I just help people to work on conscious spending, uh, work together so that they feel like working on a spending plan is not something that drives them apart, but rather something that can bring them closer together. And so we work on how to have ongoing money dates so that uh, you're sitting down and you're having a civil conversation <laughs> around your goals, you know, versus I think most people, most couples talk about money, you know, someone comes, sees a credit card bill and, and storms in and says, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it just starts with an explosion of arguments. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's really fun. Like I've been working with couples, you know, who, who might be joining finances for the first time and just having kind of these meaningful conversations. I love that because I think what you're doing is providing a much more comprehensive approach than what most people get. I, David and I come from financial services and we know that financial advisors, they do the they do the investment management and the financial planning. They're not so good with the personal finance side of things. Uh, they're not necessarily educated or even incentivized on that. So they don't they don't spend a whole lot of time helping their people. Let's talk about a budget. You know, they might recommend a budgeting app or maybe share an Excel spreadsheet, but that's kind of it. They won't dive into, well, why are you spending this way? And are you spending in a way that make, that makes you happy? So I think it's it's wonderful what you're doing. But I love that the, the twist that you have is that this is modern family finance. What makes it so modern? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Uh, you know, we are serving the LGBTQ community. And, you know, the LGBT community has unique needs, which you, uh, you two have spoken a lot about um, through the work that you have done, right? And I think many more of us are unmarried, maybe we are in a partnership, but we're unmarried, you know, the, and that has many implications on taxes, on estate planning, on how we join our finances as a couple, we have less of a family social safety net. And that's very scary when we think about retirement. And we think about long term things like long term care, you know, so how do we make sure that we're able to take our care of ourselves in our older age. There's obviously a higher cost of having children. Um, and you guys have called out many times that we end up often living in more expensive cities because those are the cities where we feel more safe and accepted. Um, and so that creates more of a financial burden. So, you know, all this, you know, plus more um, has led us, you know, we want to specialize in helping to work with, with our community. And, you know, like we said, part of our learning from the Passion Project and Without and Around is that we love working with our community. It's a lot of fun, you know, working with people who are like us and hopefully, you know, can resonate with us. This is kind of a relatively a new venture for you. Are you starting to see any common trends when you sit down with people for the first time? Um, have they had these kind of deep discussions before? Are they kind of surprised by the direction you're trying to take them? Yeah, I think, you know, so one of the exercises I do is just I do a timeline with people like in our first session. So like, I think a lot of people like they sit down they're like, okay, what are your what are your goals? Let's see, like, let's project the next 30 years. And what I do with people first is just say, okay, let's just look at your last 30, 40 years. Like, tell me about your positive and negative experiences with money. And uh, it can get quite emotional, actually, for some people, like they haven't really thought about their money journey, um, or like how money has flowed in or out of their lives, or like, you know, some of the painful experiences that have happened with money. You know, I think there is this kind of unique bond, because a, you know, people feel like, oh, you're a lesbian, <laughs> you kind of get it when I talk about, you know, how much, how painful this is to plan for, for, you know, how much money I lost 
trying to have a baby or the amount of money I need to save for top surgery or, you know, whatever, or how painful this was when, you know, uh, my family kicked me out of the house and wouldn't support me financially. So just, it helps to kind of just know where, what money means to people in their life's journey thus far, because that actually gives you a lot of information about maybe why their spending plan is what it is. And so um, those have been really meaningful conversations. And I think on the, you know, more investing side, what I've seen, especially with women is um, this, it's, it's kind of a fear-based approach of hoarding cash, where it's like this concern that, you know, I have to conserve what I have and I have to protect what I have, which is important too, but then they miss out on the opportunity of growth that comes from investment. So a lot of that is just, you know, again, this is why we think the whole mindset and numbers combination is so important is because, you know, that is driven by mindset, right? It's like this fear that of not having enough, but then it results in very real financial implications because when a woman, you know, maybe leaves their money in cash, and there's a lot of statistics that show that women are far more conservative and leave much more of their assets in cash than men, you end up with lower financial returns and women retire, you know, on par, if you have take a similar woman to a similar man, they retire with only two thirds of the assets of, of that man. And so a lot of that is helping women work through and, and being okay with taking some risk, because they need to do that in order to reach their financial goals. Nice. I love that. Do you find that all of these challenges are easier to overcome when people figure out what their passions are and what their passion projects will be? You know, I, I think it can go in any order. You know, I think sometimes you might come in and say, you might have a client that says, comes in and says, you know, I really want to start a brewery and they have this idea in their head. And so therefore that's what's driving this desire for financial change because they want to support that, you know, other folks. And, and we, I think myself, I would fall into this category is like, we don't know exactly what I didn't know exactly what my passion was, but I knew it wasn't, I, I knew I wanted a different life. And I, and I think that having the financial plan in place and a safety net in place can give you the confidence to step out into that void that we were talking about earlier and to experiment. I think that either way that you path you go, whether you think you know or whether you don't know what your passion is, there's going to be a period of time in which you're just, you don't know, you know, mm-hmm. where it, it feels like, well, I thought I liked having this brewery, but actually I'm not sure, you know, or, or you're like, I thought I like painting, but actually I hate it, you know? And I think it's an experiment, but I mean, again, I think that's the joy and adventure of life is just trying things and figuring it out. And the whole point is to really get to know yourself better and figure out what a a meaningful life is to you. And you don't, you can't really figure that out in a vacuum. Right. And so, you know, and we were a little bit extreme, like, you know, we actually took a complete jump from corporate. Um, We moved to different countries, but for some folks, maybe it's just, a one month sabbatical, or maybe it's even just like a one week vacation and just go somewhere, just get out of your normal life, you know, for a while and, and think about these questions. It almost sounds to me like what you're saying is your passion project first needs to be figuring yourself out. And when yeah, you figure actually, yourself out, then you can figure out how all of the other pieces can fit together, whether it's the financial piece or the passion project or the lifestyle design part of it. I think you're right. I mean, thank you for articulating that. I mean, I I, honestly, I think everything we do, like all of our journeys for Lisa and I, the work that we do, it's all in part a way to figure ourselves out and to express ourselves and and hopefully help some folks as well. So yeah, I mean, I guess that's the point of life, right? Right. 
yeah. the Buddhists would say. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think it's, I think it's, you, you guys are definitely helping people do that. And I think in everything that you've, you've, all these different little and big passion projects you've taken, you, you, you've really been doing that for people. So I think that's, that's wonderful. I think this has been a great discussion. Where can our listeners follow you, connect with you, uh, keep up with all the things that you're doing? Yeah, so they can follow us on our website at modernfamilyfinance.com. And that will have links to our film as well as uh, the charity bike ride that we run here in Taiwan. And all of our social media, emails, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. we love to hear from folks, you know, like if you want to have a money chat, contact us on the, you know, contact us there. We're happy to do that um, or just send us an email. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate having you on the show finally. Yeah, thank thank you. you. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at DebtFreeGuys.com forward slash happy. Thank you, Jenny and Lisa, for sharing your amazing stories and your brilliant take on living the life you love all with abundance, both personal and financial. To you, our listeners, here's your queer money takeaway from this episode. You've heard this before, but it bears repeating. Get crystal clear on what matters most to you. Eliminate all the bullshit everyone has projected onto you and get clear on what you most want in life. Start living your life, designing your life accordingly. Remember, we make the Queer Money Podcast for you, so please post your money questions in the Queer Money Facebook group we may answer your question in an upcoming episode. Thank you, and we'll talk with you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.